Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. My guest for this episode is Eric Rogers. Eric has more than 15 years of worldwide experience as a system engineer, a monitor engineer, and a front of house engineer. He has mixed every environment imaginable, from local clubs to arenas to stadiums. He's currently working with St. Asonia, but has also done front of house for legendary acts like Godsmack, Avenged Sevenfold, Gavin DeGraw, Dustin Lynch, and countless others. Eric has also mixed numerous festivals, including Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza, Download, and more. Not only is Eric a talented front of house engineer and system engineer, he's full of integrity and is always ready to share new ideas or lend suggestions and assistance, so it is my absolute pleasure to present this one-on-one discussion with Eric. Please enjoy and be sure to follow him on Instagram at Eric M. Rogers, on Facebook at Eric Rogers Audio, or on his website, ericrogersaudio.com. Please note that Eric spells his name with a K, so if you're seeking him out, be sure to spell his first name as E-R. IK. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode and please enjoy. Thanks for listening. Eric, it is awesome to have you on this podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Hey man, it's nice to be here. Yeah, welcome on. Um, so for people who may not be familiar with Eric Rogers and your history and, and where you uh, came into the music world, would you mind giving us just a quick uh, overview of you know, how did you get interested in the music industry? Are you a musician um, through school or? Oh, God, no. I'm a terrible player. <laughs> I mean, I I have, I, I play music badly, but that's pretty much just for me. Um, I, um, long, long time ago, I, I grew up in and around Dayton, Ohio, and uh, I wanted to get into the local music scene, but I really wanted to get in as a player. And, uh, that didn't work out so well. What was your <laughs> but, uh, What was your instrument of choice uh, when you were playing? Oh, I, I, I wanted to play guitar in, in a metal band or a punk rock band. That was my thing. I just I wanted to get. I was I was young and angry and loud. It's perfect. Then you Not metal metal old, seems like the natural choice. Angry and loud, so <laughs> works out. But uh, no, it was it was. Uh, I didn't even know what any of this stuff was. Um, I didn't. I. I when I first started, I started mixing bar bands. I didn't even know how to mix. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I actually started off doing lighting. Um, and Sorry it was like about a that. Foot controller that we set up on a, a bar table on stage. So here's this this five piece cover band, and this is like in the late '90s. And these guys, uh, the band was called uh, Dead Dogs. <clears throat> Funny enough, I actually have their logo tattooed on my arm. 
That's awesome. One of those one of those mistakes. It's not really a mistake. If you look, it was a mistake at the time. Twenty years later, it's like, hey, that's pretty fucking funny. Um, but they were they were doing five hundred people to a thousand people every Friday and Saturday night in in Dayton, Ohio, and it was like ninety percent covers. They had a a, a a record full of originals, and it was that late nineties kind of. Matchbox Twenty, you know, rock and roll with an acoustic guitar, singer songwriter kind of kind of vibe, danceable, very very college girl friendly, which was which was perfect, right? I mean, here I am, eighteen, nineteen year old kid, and and next thing you know, I'm 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 standing on stage with the band playing a lighting console. It was the most ridiculous fucking thing, and um, the guitar player his name's uh, Scott Miller. Is a very dear friend of mine still to this day, and uh, the singer, his name is Judd Baker. And uh, one day they're both like, "Why the hell are you on stage?" And I had no idea because I inherited the gig from somebody else, and he was set up on stage. I had no idea what any of this stuff was. I'm just like, I, I, I put it where he told me to put it. I was like, "Where do you want me to put it? I'll put it anywhere." So next thing you know, I found out what front of house was, which was that thing way out there with that that old grumpy dude who had a console who was just bitching at everybody and here i am i'm this kid with some spiky manic panic red dyed hair you know doing this for all the beer i can drink and 50 bucks had no idea what i was doing and then as that grew like they they just they were they were just stupid popular and to this day i don't even understand how a, a like a cover band could be that but that was it was a different time um they they got wise to you know they were renting sound from some some local companies a couple of the local companies that are still friends of mine you know 20 years later and uh the band guys got hip and they were like well we're paying these guys like 300 bucks a night we can just use the rehearsal pa and have eric mix it i'm like you can have eric do what <laughs> so next thing i know i've got this Little, you've seen them, the, the PV powered head. It looks like a, a big lunchbox that's got some like six channels and a bunch of knobs on it, and that's it. And then a couple RCA inputs for a, well, at the, at the time it was a, a rack mount CD player. Later on, it was a, you know, eighth inch to RCA for, uh, this was even before iPods. It was some MP3 player that was about the size of, of my, my Apple mouse here that had just a basic LCD readout of one, two, three. And that was, I mean, that was the height of the technology back then. Yeah. They held um, like uh, 16 songs and you could only yeah. play them in one order. I think I had one of those, but uh, I mean, I, I seriously had no idea what I was doing, but as we, they, the, the band grew, I started playing out of, out of the Dayton, Ohio market into uh, Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio. And a lot of these venues had their own, like, these had house sound systems and they had house consoles. I mean, next thing you know, I'm looking at a, a, a PM 3500. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, there's tons of knobs here. What 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 do I do with all these things? And then there's there's outboard gear. And I mean, we had this little. I by the band owned at the time. Like they've grown into what a, a Mackie 2404. So there was there was a handful of, you know, price point outboard gear. There's you know, DBX 266s or whatever, you know, you know, appropriate compressors for the gig or whatever, appropriate effects. Um, 
nothing amazing. And you still had to make it work, right? And so now you're going into these clubs, and now I'm I'm seeing, you know, real stuff. I'm seeing drummer gear. I'm seeing, uh, I don't know, Ashley. You know, real stuff at the yeah, time. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a, a mixer. I, I God, I haven't spoken to him in so long. His name is Alan Can. Uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, he was front of house for Bootsy forever. Oh, wow. Awesome. And uh, I walked in. He was also the house guy at this this venue uh, called uh, Rhythm and Blues Cafe, RBC, in Cincinnati. And I walk in there, and I'm all kinds of cocky. And, and, and he's a – I mean, Alan is a he's – a, he's a great mixer, and he's a great dude. And I didn't know him. I was just, again, young and stupid. And I'm, I'm listening. He's the house guy, and he knows everything. And I'm listening. It doesn't sound something doesn't sound right, and I don't even know how to describe what it sounded like. But I walk up to him, and I'm like, "You know, this is a rock and roll band." He's like, "What's your point?" I'm like, I don't know, man. Like the, the drums just aren't hitting. It just something's not doing it for me. He had tons he had, he could have said anything to me he could have told me to go fuck myself he could have told me to get lost he could have been condescending he could have done anything and he looked at me and goes do you know how to mix like no he's like well get back here and next thing you know i'm standing behind the console and he's like what do you want it to sound like and i i and i described it um like and i it was something like i wanted to kind of like Pantera, but not so clicky or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? So then next thing you know, here, here I am, a Yamaha PM 3500. And here's, here's my channel strip and here's a bunch of EQ knobs. And, and, and next thing you know, he's like, well, get it till it sounds right. And I'm looking at him all cross-eyed. I'm like, and, and next thing you know, this, this, this dude is like, he's going down, down channel by channel and kind of talking me through what I'm trying to accomplish. And then, looking at the outboard rack and, and, and then all of a sudden putting it together like, oh, so this is inserted here. And then if I adjust this threshold, this all of a sudden now the the band that was paying me, and by that time I had grown to making maybe a hundred bucks a gig and I got to drive the truck, <laughs> um, which was also conveniently parked at my house. <laughs> so I got to store the gear in my garage too. Um, all of a sudden it was, it was, I, I was getting paid to learn how to do this. And I still had no idea that it was a, um, this was a career. This was literally just a, a hobby. I had a, I had a, a, a normal job at the time. I was working, I was doing it back in the, the Novell netware days for, for some warehouse. Oh, nightmares just came flashing back the, uh, token ring oh. and, uh, BNCs and yeah. Um, oh, so how old are you at this point? Where, where are you at in life during that, cur- during that time? During that time? Yeah. 21, 22. Wow. Barely. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it was fun. Um, but no, I, 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 I didn't know that this existed, but then, uh, I met more of the, the sound people around town. And then some of these guys worked for big sound companies. And I really thought, that if I went to go work for the sound company, then I would basically get to go to all the shows. Because I, I, I literally, I thought that the um, the local sound company brought all the stuff into the big arena. So, like, I would get to go to these, 
Like I was, I was a huge Pantera fan, and I mean, everything. There's, there's some legendary tours that I saw go through a, a now demolished uh, place called Hera Arena in Dayton, Ohio. But uh, I thought, man, if I got this job, I would go, and, and I would get to to. I would grow into being the guy. I had no idea that artists traveled with their own guy. But I also didn't know that you could split a signal between multiple consoles. I had no idea that monitors came from a different dude. <laughs> I had Yeah, you were doing I, it I, all. Yeah. So it just oh, seemed yeah. natural, yeah. Yeah, I had no I I so I was just I just I learned over years and then I went to go work for this sound company and, and that was so fortunate because I got to um I got I got paid to be a mad scientist. I mean, sometimes I had to load trucks and go do shows and be like the deck patch guy. Or sometimes I was allowed to mix monitors or whatever. Sometimes I was allowed to mix front of house or whatever. But for the most part, I literally got paid. And this was in the early 2000s, maybe 2003, 2004. I got paid like 15 bucks an hour at the time. Which, by the way, all you sound companies out there that are still paying your shop kids 15 bucks an hour. I was fucking making that in 2004. Just saying. Okay. I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate that, uh, that, uh, reminder. Yeah. It was just 2004. I was making the same and didn't know shit. I was making the same amount of money that some kids that come out of full sales that actually know some shit make now. So just throwing that out there to my, while we're all stuck at home with the COVID we're all angry um, yeah it's, right yeah we're venting um but uh i got I, I literally got i it would come in and and uh the owner of the company's name is paul and i remember he there was a some cheap like it, we didn't definitely didn't unlid you know the production consoles but there was some like some cheap behringer rack console and was it a, a brook siren Graphic EQ, wow, that's a wedge, uh, an amplifier, a wedge, and an SM58. Wow. And he would just walk in, he would get it as loud as you can. And this is, you know, like 10-foot ceiling concrete basement of a warehouse. Next thing you know, I'm trying to learn about polar patterns of microphones. And it was like, as I literally thought that it was, at the time, you know, like, I, I, it's, a, it's a gain issue, and then it's an EQ issue, and you there's the right combination of knobs and levers to get so I can get this thing ripping loud. And uh, I, I got it as, as good as I thought it could get. It was stable and you know, it wasn't, wasn't feeding back. And he came in and he goes, I thought, you, thought, thought I told you to get it loud. <laughs> All right. And, and literally he moved the microphone and it blew my mind. What, what, what are you talking about? Like move the microphone. And then, then all of a sudden now we're looking at polar patterns of microphones and where the where, where the optimum rejection is off the back of the mic or off the side of the mic or whatever the pattern of of the whatever mic i had at the time to, to play around with and all of a sudden there's there's this awakening of, of the relationship of how things how things actually work and it's not just some guy with some, with you know some guy with a ponytail and, and a bunch of gear there's actually some knowledge involved here and I was still in college at the time, so I, I started uh, taking some physics classes. And, um, yeah, it, all of a sudden this, this hobby became a, uh, a path of discovery of, of wanting to learn how. I, I want to know everything. I still want to know everything. 
So I'll how, let you know when I get there. <laughs> it's uh, I think sound is definitely a, a journey, not a destination. You know, a, absolutely. A few um, really gifted people, you know, get to that destination and they're just good the rest of their lives. But I, I believe that most of us are constantly learning and improving. Hence the uh, sort of the driver behind this podcast was to share knowledge uh, and experiences with other people um, from, you know, well-known, uh, highly regarded people such as yourself. So definitely re- appreciate your time here. Um, but a quick question. So you, you go to work for the sound company, your boss, you know, uh, asks you to get the monitors as loud as they can go. And then you start to really have these um, epiphany type of moments how long did you stay at the production company and did you, how did you make the transition into, you know, touring the world with some, you know, really okay. notable bands? Um, I worked, that company in Ohio was called MS Entertainment and I worked with them. He actually sent me out on my first tour. Um, one of the competitors, a competing sound company had somehow landed, um, a tour and this was this is again dating myself the tour was for a, a website that doesn't exist anymore called my college daily that there was a competitor uh, or they were trying to be a competitor for this new website called myspace <laughs> and um oh tom yeah i mean it's, Tom, Tom, Tom's happy man right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And, and what's and what's his name? Uh, Facebook guy has all the problems. Oh, Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so the um, the 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 competing company called Paul and it's like, uh, and they had sub rented. Um, I think it was like yeah they they the other company provided consoles and they sub rented racks and stacks from us and they needed a a systems guy. And a front of house guy. So this, it wasn't like notable, huge bands on this tour. There were some like regional bands and it was going to college, college bars, college theaters, college campuses doing this thing. So I had, that was my first tour. It was, I mean, I was, I had, I had a bunk on a bus and a laminate. So that was a tour. Man, for a first tour, that's better than the majority of people. Most of them are in, in the old uh, white van, you know, 15 passenger uh, with, you know, nine guys. <laughs> so oh, I have, I've only done one van ever, and it was only one week. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate with that. But when I got back, it, was, it, was, it wasn't it was a very long tour. It was maybe a couple months. And when I had gotten uh, back from it, I, I, was, I was convinced that was all I needed to go on tour. So I, uh, and, and as you go around the country, you, you meet people and you, you network, which I'm still really bad at actually. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I am. so. No, I, 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 I think I am, but I mean, I appreciate it. Um, so I, I, I come back and I had met another, um, gentleman at the time. He was the LD for, uh, Kings of Leon when they were in one bus, a bus and trailer, and they had come through Dayton and we provided uh, PA and lights for them. It's a, uh, it was like a thousand seater and uh, his name was Robert and I got to know Robert pretty well and we kept in touch um, afterwards and he introduced me to um, a couple other people and the next thing I know I get a phone call 
um, who would, he, I guess Robert had given my name to somebody. I got a phone call to go out and do monitors on the B stage of a hip hop tour called, uh, rock the bells. That was, it was, uh, rage against the machine, Wu Tang clan and somebody else on the main stage. And the B stage was all independent hip hop artists from fucking noon till 9 PM. <laughs> and, uh, it was nonstop. And I was on, I was on deck for nine hours a day. Um, blowing up side fills with lights. Lots of mic cupping to deal with and yeah, putting all of your polar patterns. Screaming. <laughs> oh, and and there's, you know, um, our side fills were, um, what were we carrying? We had upstage, we had uh, KF850s and subs per side. Then downstage, we had Nexo Alpha downstage. It was, I mean, wow. and then there's a wall of wedges. Of, wow. uh, it was Nexo PS15s. It's just, the state the stage was stupid loud. <laughs> and at that time, was, you don't have the benefit of a lot of the uh, tools that we have today. You know, like your RTAs. Uh, you know, everything's got an RTA overlay these days. So I imagine ringing that out was uh, a bit tricky. Can you? I don't want to divert too much from your your no, history because it's whatever. fascinating. But you know, how do you go about tackling something like that with a bunch of analog outboard gear? And you've got you know people moving around and they're cupping the mic and they're shouting and you know, pointing the mic at stuff. How are, how are you dealing with that back in those days? Well, it was a lot of, well, I, I was, I was fortunate. I wasn't carrying analog at the time. We had a, um, by then I had had a, uh, a, a M seven CL on oh. half the gigs and a PM five V on the other half of the gigs. All right. Um, and I, I, I had gotten to the point where, where I actually, I had a pretty good, um, grasp of, of gain staging and for the most part the, EQ, I, the eqs were flat and it was the way i delivered it was like this is the, it's this is it this is this is where you're at this is at your your optimum input to your channel your optimum output of the amplifier it's just i mean any farther out we're we're going red anyway uh if there's a tonal thing going on or if there's a, a trouble frequency, I can notch that out or, or eke that out just a little bit. But uh, I actually worked with the artists around that and, and started really isolating things and started um, working with them in, in a professional manner where explaining like, okay, so the DJ upstage, he's his own creature and that's his mix and whatever he's going to have in there is going to be punishing. And if you want to go, upstage by the dj and you think you want to hear yourself over him it's not going to happen and same thing it was like downstage this is this is your world and i started like kind of isolating the stages and it was I, I, right or wrong I, I don't know i just said that was pretty much the only successful monitor gig i've ever had <laughs> and i think it had a lot of it had to do with me being um starting off very timid and terrified and, and somehow i I don't know. Some, some, somehow I got my, I got my moxie and, and, and I was able to start talking to these people as, as peers instead of just, you know, bright eyed and, you know, completely in awe of what I was doing. But, um, through that, um, one of my local providers on that tour ended up becoming a, a friend and mentor of mine. And he took me out on what we'll say is a, my first real tour. And he took me out as the, uh, monitor tech for Stevie wonder. Mm. 
which was a rad gig. Yeah, that's awesome. So now I had I had a year and a half of touring under my belt, and I had Stevie Wonder at the top of my resume. Wow. So uh, I sent my I sent that resume to every sound company in the country, like anybody who would bite. And the only person who bit was Paul Owen at Thunder Audio. And I was, what, four-hour drive from my house, and he called me up. He's like, I'd like to interview you tomorrow. Like, I'll fucking be there. And I drove up. The interview took, what, 10? It was four hours of driving for a 10-minute job interview. And next thing you know, I'm I'm riding in the truck with the gear to Bonnaroo. And it was, it was we're going to put you out at front of house. It's sink or swim. And uh, I swam. Wow. <laughs> Somehow I ended up swimming. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's been like, I worked for thunder for a year. So how did I get on the road with that is thunder. I, I kept succeeding. There was some failure in there too. And a whole lot of ass chewing and a whole lot of growing and it's what makes you better. You know, <laughs> right. But at one point, one of the artists that I was out with as SE, um, it's funny, this has happened twice in my career. And I was out with Avenged Sevenfold as systems engineer and my dear my my dear friend Nigel asked me to fill in for him while he took care of some personal stuff. And uh, next thing you know, I'm in the driver's seat for Avenged Sevenfold, and in some baseball stadium in Mexico. It was wow. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that transition? Because uh, you know, a lot of us, the vast majority of I think system or not system engineers, but front of house engineers. There's a very select. F- I did a I did a look up one time. Um, there are fewer touring front of house engineers than there are players in the NFL. Um, so you talk about some pretty rare company. Uh, you know, most of us are out there slogging it in the clubs and the, the, you know, county fairs and things like that. You definitely paid your dues, started, you know, on the small, and then all of a sudden you're in a baseball stadium. How do you transition? Like when you get into that stadium, there's so many additional gotchas and, and, you know, I think, I think sort of the misconception that, people may have is it's much harder to mix a small club than it is to mix a baseball stadium or an arena. But I found that they're two distinctly challenging environments. How do you go from, how do you jump into the the stadium and not have everything be out of control? And, uh, you know, how, what were your biggest initial learning takeaways from that? Well, I, I was fortunate because when I was also systems engineering, I was, I also, um, a lot of the times I would have to mix the support band. So uh, it's, it's not like I, it's not like I jumped into large format venues blind. Okay. So I had already had that. And what I had learned before, before I had gotten into, you know, the stadium driver's seat, what I had, I had learned is that if you're, sh- you're, if you're mixing your show, if it, if it sounds good coming out of the console, It'll sound good coming out of the PA, provided the SE is doing their job. And a lot of times, since I was the SE, I like to think that I was doing my job right. Um, but um, everything has to work together. And, and I find it's actually more difficult. And especially now, whenever we've had to go back and do clubs like um, it was funny with, with Godsmack last year. Uh, we did the gamut. We did festivals. We did the massive downloads. We did arenas. We did amphitheaters. And we also did a couple of gigs in Germany that could probably fit into my house. 
I remember and, seeing some pictures on Instagram of uh, rather yeah. small clubs. And, and well, like the, their expectations are the same. And the audience's expectation is the same. And, and like, this, some dude in Munich who probably went to go see us at the festival has the same expectation, except now I have, you know, one thirtieth of the PA that I had before. Right. Like I'm still carrying my console. I still have all of my processing. I still have, I still have all my toys, but now I, 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 you know, I have no idea how old this PA system is. I have no idea how blown up this PA system is. I do know that um, it's much easier to mix a full-on rock band outdoors at a festival at you know stay at the european 100 db limit than it is to go inside of a club where the snare drum by itself is 103 <laughs> you know it's it's that's it, it's so i find that honestly the the with the there's no excuse now there's no reason no legitimate reason with the technology available and the, the level of talent behind any se who's doing you know a, a, a top-level show like that, that your show should be difficult to mix at all. What about stage volume in a small club like that? Uh, or not a club, but like a theater. You know, I'm assuming that when you are when you were in Europe at those smaller venues, they're still, you know, thousand-seat theaters oh, yeah. or something like that. But what do you do for stage volume? Well, um... <laughs> I don't assume they we, use Kempers and, uh, you know, profiles. It was, it was all Kemper over there at the oh, time. Oh, wow. Okay, so that helps. But, um, well, it started off great. It was, I mean, it was, uh, you, I mean, you work with the backline guys. And, of course, the backline guys, they, they have their players' best interests at heart, you know, and, and first thing on their minds. And it's like, no, hey, the boss is going to want it like this. I'm like, I appreciate that. Here's what I'm up against. Let's work together. And, and we brought the stage volume. We brought the stage volume down. And it was great. Until one day, the boss came and comes in and he's like, why does my shit keep getting quiet? Like I'm in a rock and roll band and he just turns every knob all the way to the right. <laughs> and it, 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 he tells me, he's like, let's make it work. Like, yes, sir. I'll make it work. And, and it just, it, you know, there, a lot some tricks I find is, um, and, and this is, I mean, this works for some, maybe not everyone, but right. You get simple things like panning where I, I could take, if I have two guitars in the band and I, and I, I take my stage left and my stage right guitar and now they're, you know, 10 and two, maybe even nine and three, depending. And that kind of carves a whole little hole for my vocal. Sure. Um, what do you do about drums in a, in an environment like that? Are you using uh, any type of shields or I, no. how, how hard does he play? Um, is he, it looks like he's really, you know, getting an after, getting after it on the drums. <laughs> He sometimes he does, sometimes it doesn't. He's a very dynamic player. Uh, one of the benefits we have is there's triggers on uh, every drum that are keying the gates. Right. So uh, there's that that eliminates a lot of open mic noise around there. Um, but you can, I mean, if you go, you can you can hear it if you find anybody's YouTube camera, cell phone recorded show. You can absolutely, or I can let you listen to multi tracks. You can absolutely hear it if 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 the singer walks too far close to the drum kit uh, on this little stage. Ammo. There it is. It's right there, um, and they. I think they all hear that in their ears, and we all kind of work together to stay in their worlds and, and to isolate it to get it out there, so you can present the big rock show in the little environment. Yeah, and I believe I I 
recall you were using Sure Axient with uh, Telefunken M80 capsules? Absolutely. Yeah. Did you find that the M80 was better at rejecting um, outside noise, or what? What? Why go with the Telefunken M80? Um, the, the, that was actually Scott Kachuk, who's the 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 front of house engineer for Godsmack, who who was uh, kind enough to uh, ask me to fill in for him for a year. It was his choice, and uh, when we first when when we first about talked about me taking over, he's like, "You can do whatever you want, but I find this works for him." I'm like, okay. And when we got to Europe, because I really like the uh, DPA capsule, so I uh, I brought the Telefunken capsules with me, knowing that that's that's what he's comfortable with, and I had the DPA. Um, the sound company provide a couple of those, just so we we had a rehearsal day, so we could AB them. And it was just a matter of listening to it, and it it was. Scott was absolutely right. The Telefunken is the right capsule for for his voice. Cool. It's just, so it's like, it's, I know some guys are all about the, the, the features of a microphone or, or, or a features of a specific device, but there is also a, uh, you can't, uh, there's an undocumentable feature of a device of, is it right for this application or for this person? And rejection, no rejection, doesn't matter. There's no wedges on stage anyway. There are wedges, but they just hold up mic uh, set lists. <laughs> But um, footrests does it does it fit well in his hands? Does it is it shaped the way he likes it to be shaped? How is that that intangible relationship between his eyes, his ears, his mouth, and the thing in his hands that he's singing into? And you can't you can't fuck with it. He's he's been doing using that thing for years, and then I'm here, the new guy coming in and go, no, do this. That ain't gonna work. Not not for too long, at least. All right, so um, we got a little bit off track there. So you you picked up the gig when Scott uh, needed you to step in. Um, you were system engineer for Godsmack for how long? Uh, I was I was SE for Godsmack for the the year before that, so in 2018. Cool. It was uh, Godsmack and uh, Shinedown. Oh yes, I do remember. Uh, good tour for sure. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, when you were with Godsmack and Shinedown, was that a Meyer? Uh, rig or what? yes okay i that saw was, was, go ahead you know, it was, it was, it was, uh, godsmack is, is it's always that's been a meyer tour for one and honestly most of my most of my seeing stuff has come through my because i worked for a meyer house it wasn't it's not that i i sought out meyer sound and it's not i'm no disrespect to meyer sound i've had a wonderfully amazing successful I love the product. I love love the company, I'm, but it was a it was just dumb luck. I, mean, I could have just as easily gotten hired by Claire Brothers, and I would be you know talking. I would be I would be Cohesion singing the praises or, yeah. of, of Co Twelve. <laughs> yeah. Um. And and I love I, I've actually uh, out with the when I was with Dustin Lynch for three years, we had Co Twelve on uh on the Luke Bryan tour and the FGL tour, and it's another fantastic box. It's like I, it's hard to find a for me anyway, I definitely have my preferences, but it's hard to find, it's harder to find a PA that I hate than it is for me to find one that I love. That's a good point. Technology uh, is definitely a friend these days for most of us in most scenarios. Um, 
not to talk about myself too much, but I was lucky enough to go out to uh, Lidditz, Pennsylvania and audition the co-system. Um, they wouldn't sell one or lease one. Those are, it's still so new that they, they don't do anything with it. But even their I-5 and I-3, um, you know, stuff from years ago seemed outstanding. We A-beat it with LA, uh, L Acoustics and, you know, um, it was, it's impressive. The, the Claire brother, the Claire Enterprise really knows what they're doing. I almost said Claire Brothers because they're two separate uh, entities there. <laughs> well, it, it, what I and I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know a lot about the history of that company, but what I, I have a lot of, I have some friends that are, are, was like, like what, if 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 Claire was was the Masonic Lodge, I have friends that are like thirty third degree masons <laughs> up in there, right? And there's some um, Kool Aid. Oh yeah, and, and these guys. Um, they were innovators. They developed, you know, the, the technology did not exist. And, you know, I have no idea, but some band, some engineer wanted this. And they're like, all right, we'll fucking make that. Yeah. It's amazing. We don't know how, but we'll do it. Yeah. And, and they did it. And they've, they've always stayed on the, on the front of that. And one of the things that they, I've, I've noticed in my travels and in my, my work is that Gear is gear and people are people and they provide amazing people. They provide, they, they take care of their people and they provide some training and, and share knowledge that a lot of places don't. A lot of places would actually benefit from kind of paying attention to what the other guys are doing. Yeah. When I was um, auditioning the, the Co-12 uh, and then the um, I-3 rigs out there, they had a group of new hires that were going through rigging uh, practices on the co-systems. And I asked uh, Tom Ashcroft, who I was with uh, at the at Claire Global, when are these guys going to be going out on the road? And he just sort of smiled and said, "They, it's going to be a long time. We spent a lot of time investing, you know, getting everybody up trained and, uh, you know, completely competent so that you can trust them literally with your life. And I really admired that uh, because they, to your point, they do invest heavily in their people. And that's probably why so many tours choose Claire is you get that, that benefit, um, of assurance and oh yeah, predictability. Yeah. Cause I mean, like a, a speaker's a speaker just point the loud part at the audience, you know, but it, it's unless you're doing people, cardioid. Right. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then you point one of the loud parts away from them. Yeah. Um, but, but the people actually making that stuff work, that's the difference. And they, they, they have some very talented people. And I think that they, they foster that talent. They cultivate it. Yeah. And from the non-technical side, I think, you know, something that you mentioned on that hip hop tour was the, the professionalism side, the being able to communicate with people. And I think that that's another uh, strong quality that you need to have in the touring businesses. We can't be the big bearded, you know, grumpy guy that says, you know, stay away from me. You've got to, you've got to have some people skills. Oh shit. Do I have to shave so I can say people tell people to stay away from me? <laughs> um, or, or get a few more grays. I've not. I, I've been the most successful at front of house. I've, I've I've done I've done a handful of monitor gigs, and I'll be the first to, to. I'll readily admit that I'm there. There are differences between a front of house engineer and a monitor engineer, and as some of my some of my very very dear friends like Bruce Dans, for one, Ronard are monitor guys and they have, they have this psycho sketch. They, they have this, this ability, the psychological talent to get inside the head of the guy on stage. And they, they, they know, and the, and the guys on stage know that, you know, that 
this this dude who's you know 30 feet to their left has their life in their hands for the next 90 minutes or so yeah a lot and, of trust. and they have um they, they, they have the skin of steel and they have the patience of a saint and uh I have neither of those. <laughs> <laughs> you found where you like to be and what yeah. you're good at, you know, so why why try to uh, force change there? Yeah. Um, so this is sort of a nice little segue. So thank you for the history and, um, you know, run through of how you got from running a lighting board on stage to, you know, being the in the driver's seat at huge uh, festivals and arenas. Talk to us a little bit about your mixing consoles. I know with Godsmack, you were on a Pro 10 from Midas. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you were with like a Storm, I think you were on some Digico consoles. How does um, that, how do you make those decisions? Are you sort of playing the hand you're dealt or do you have a preference? What's, what's been your experience around consoles? It's a little bit of both. Um, with like, I started off, like, honestly, my, my, when I started specking my own desk, this was probably about 2009, 2010. Uh, Midas Digital had just kind of come into existence, and uh, I was I was an early supporter of the Midas Pro platform, especially the Pro Six. Um, carried it. I, I've I turned several friends of mine onto it, and several companies onto the console. Um, but I also, but also, um, as technology develops, other other platforms you know, grew faster, grew better, or, or, or kept more current, we'll say. And, uh, when I had, uh, when I inherited uh, front of house and production manager for Dustin Lynch, I inherited a profile and I, I've honestly, I've never been a fan. It's funny. I've never been a fan of the desk, but I've also never had a shitty show on one either. So, uh, it's still my, my go-to on a fly date. Somebody goes, Oh, we have a profile. I'm like, Brad. All right, cool. Um, it's kind of like a, it, it, you know, it's like the, I don't know, it's it's the hatchback of consoles. Like, it's dependable. It'll get you there. I was going to say um, it's sort of like the X32 of the yeah. the next level. You know, everybody mm-hmm. knows how to mix on an X32. Uh, everybody knows how to mix on a, a profile. Right. But um, uh, we, we maybe a week into the gigs and uh, management had come out to the show and there's there were some limitations. Like we were maxed out on this profile and, and it just wasn't what I was trying to accomplish with the band. And he's like, well, here, this is, this is our audio vendor. Tell them what you want. And, uh, uh, our vendor was, uh, special event services. Michael Brammer is my rep. And, uh, I got a call. I got on the phone with Michael and I, I like, I would really like to move up to Digico. And, um, I had had a little bit of Digico experience, but not a lot, but I, I known, um, I'd known uh, the rep, Matt Larson, for years. He was my Midas rep before he was my Digico rep, actually. And um, I just sight unseen and built, built a show file, and I carried it, and I loved it. Um, I, and I still very much like the Digico platform, um, like everything Digico. Uh, they've been very good to me, and I think their product is, speaks for itself. Um, with Godsmack, I inherited the, the Midas, but again, I think going like this kind of goes circles back to the my the way i think about pa as well is technology is one thing people are another and it's what people do with the technology that make it work and um i wasn't about to walk in on a, on a fill-in gig and just change everything on top of that um 
Godsmack is a, I mean, they're, 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 they're we'll call it, I don't want to say legacy, but they're, they're an older act and they have an older sound. And the Midas has this, the Midas console has that grit, that sound that Godsmack is. It does it, it, so it was the right tool for the right job. Sort of like the microphone and, and the mm-hmm. vocals, you know, matching yeah. up the, the board matches the, the, yep. the band. Now, so, some of my, my mixing style is not, it's, it's grown and it's actually, I had to reteach myself some things because there's just, there's some things you can't do on the Midas desk that have become just kind of, force of habit on a digico desk like i can't i can't mix group to group on a midas desk without doing some weird crazy patching and so you just have to kind of rethink because the way the midas is is really the, the thought process on the midas is it's an analog desk with some screens and, and it, it operates that way and it sounds that way yeah it's really interesting you bring up the group to group um i think with this uh recent vacation that we've all gotten from touring because of uh covid you know guys like uh pooch are you know posting their classes and you know doing these tutorials and the funniest thing um i'm a member in a lot of the allen and heath user groups uh it's my board of choice i really love the d live platform we're recording on it right now but um the the question that is starting to pop up that i never saw asked uh often before but this pops up almost daily how do you mix a group to a group? And that is that must definitely be a Digico type of a thing. Uh, Ken uses it a lot. Sounds like you use it. Um, I use it. Talk. Can you, do you mind talking through? I know it's a little bit difficult without uh, the benefit of being able to see it, but talk about how you like to go about laying out a uh, a new board for you know somebody that it, that you didn't inherit the gig from. You know, if you're starting from scratch, what what's what are some of your philosophies and time savers or tips and tricks that you've uh, run across that you might feel like sharing. Don't give away all the um, secret sauce, of course. Oh, um, if every instrument, every instrument gets its own group. So there's, there's a drums group, there's a bass group, there's a guitar group, there's a vocal group. Um, actually, uh, I, I separate some things. So like there's drums and cymbals. I don't put drums and cymbals in the same group. Uh, I don't put main vocals and backing vocals in the same group. Um, and each guitar player would have his own group. And if I were, if I were fortunate enough to do like salsa band or something cool like that, then I would have a, a, a horn section and a, a percussion. Right. I would have a percussion group. So everything gets its own group. And, and then, so and then all the, um, what I would do, what I do with the, uh, the drums is I have a drum group and I have a cymbal group. Those two groups go into, um, so it would be like it would be the, the drum kit. So there's like there's drums, cymbals, and then kit. Um, and then all of the instruments go into band. So then um, and then uh, vocals like um, BGV and main vocals they go into an all vox group. So essentially the mix comes down to two faders. There's band and vocals, and you can do your work within there. Um, so I I. I on the Midas platform, I, I rely on VCAs pretty heavily. On the Digico platform, I don't. Right. Like I, I, the Digico platform, it's it's for me, it's a little easy because since a VCA to me is just basically a remote control, um, I can pop around and, and get around the, the the surface a little easier. But it all starts with that. The layout would be the same no matter where everybody goes. Like that. That's how the the and then whether or not I use a plug-in or um, 
some some fancy you know witchcraft depends on what the, what the the needs of the the artist are but uh that's that's the gist where do you typically do your compression so for example in the midas uh environment i'm I'm guessing you do some sort of parallel compression on the drums and then do you apply additional compression on the drum kit group or can you talk a little bit about how you insert compression okay so on the midas platform uh it was um there were two drum groups there was drum there's the drum group and then the crush group i did um and uh and then the the symbols so three there's, there's dry crush and symbols and um i had outboard uh compression for them and uh but it was old <laughs> it was these old summit thing and and the, the knobs were noisy and uh while i was waiting for uh like FedEx to ship me the new one. I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to try the onboard to see what it's like. And, and, and was it as, as, as silky as the, as the summit? No. But did, did the drunk guy next to me notice? No. So um, I kept a lot of that stuff in, but I outboard, um, you know, I was using um, uh, distressors on the snares, stuff like that. Um, but I, I, since you, I have going group to group on a Midas, it's kind of a pain in the ass. I wasn't doing it that way. I just had drums dry, drums crush, and cymbals, and, and kind of work those three faders in and out, That's, just depending. Yep. Cool. Um, so we're, we're you know sort of winding down on time here. Um, I think one of the things that I find interesting and that I really found um, sort of shocking when I started touring was what the day in the life is like for somebody on a big tour. Would you mind taking us through a day in the life of Eric on a, uh, a tour, like a Godsmack tour or, um, you know, overseas with um, like a storm? Uh, you well, know. that's, there's two different things. Cause like when, when I was with Godsmack, I was just front of house. So I just, I, 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 I literally, I would load in and wait. There's a lot of hurry up <laughs> wait, and wait. My turn. People don't understand so that. Um, but, uh, for like a storm and, uh, currently with St. Asonia, um, I was front of house and tour manager. So, um, I'm the first guy awake, uh, going in, I'm, I'm meeting the, or with Dustin Lynch, I was front of house and production manager. Either way, I'm, I'm in the door first and I'm, I'm meeting the steward I'm meeting the promoter rep. I'm meeting the, the local venue rep. I'm, if I'm production managing, I'm, I'm now overseeing a load-in and, and a rig build. If I'm tour managing, I'm, I'm setting everything up in the office and getting the day going for the band. Uh, so, and, and putting out fires as, as they go. Hopefully there's no fires. There's not typically a lot. I mean, honestly, on a, on a good day, the, the biggest fire is, you know, the runner mixed up the laundry, which is always fun. Um, but uh, what? Line check it at after lunch sometime at one if the band wants to sound check three um oh, that's a lot an of times especially thing. um i Good. didn't mean to interrupt so did you find uh with the godsmack for example that there wasn't a sound check a lot of times or maybe there was a lot initially? of times there the only time we well, godsmack wants to sound check is when they want to uh, change something oh okay so then would you rely on like a multi-track to uh absolutely yeah. i, I multi-track everything um, and I do virtual sound check. What's really funny is I, and I don't know how other guys do it. And I can, I, I see 
I can see where there's flaw in, in, in my approach. So I have two different, like, I, I will, I'll say if, if there's like a really good show, you know, that you, you've done those shows, you're like, man, that just felt good. I save that. But I typically will load yesterday. And unless yesterday was a complete dumpster fire of a show, I'll just go based on that because it's, it's a digital desk and everything is honestly, everything should be the same, right. but there is always that, that base in case yesterday was a dumpster fire. I do have like, Oh wow, that one was really good. But then I've done it before where I go back, say 10 shows and I play it back to the PA and go, wow, you notice how much has changed. And, and even though you're recalling the same show, there's so many like little differences that, that, that kind of build up. So, um, what I like about doing a virtual is kind of it, it once you, you get to that base standard where you're, you're, it's good. Okay, cool. And then you can, you experiment and you, you kind of evolve or derail depending on how you want to look at it. You can always recall back to that. Yeah. It's good to have options there. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about scenes and recalls and things like that, but, um, I didn't mean to interrupt. So you've, mm-hmm. You're the first guy in when you're when you're TMing or PMing. Uh, you're you've done your build. You've got your uh, line checks done. There may or may not be a sound check. All right, we're at what now? About five o'clock or so. Yeah, five o'clock. Now you gotta have a you have to have a security meeting, uh, especially you know in, in in today's environment. You have to security is paramount to everything. Like there's no point in doing these events if they're not safe. So uh, I have a a very detailed list that I would go through on a security meeting point by point with, with everybody. Plus if, if the artist that I'm working with has a security director, it's great. Uh, A lot of times they don't, uh, by the time that's done, it's time to open doors and, you know, hopefully, hopefully have some dinner. Do you have a preference uh, from catering like, uh, or, or do you, what's on your rider uh, that's that you must have when you're out on tour for me? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not picky. I would I I honestly I like to have a a bottle of bourbon or a bottle of red wine. That's I mean, maybe I'm a little bougie, but <laughs> no, that's all good. My preference was uh, Diet Coke or uh, a couple of Miller Lights. I found that with doing tours every single night, if you brought the leftovers on the bus, eventually there was no room on the bus for anything. So I learned pretty quickly to uh, scale down the amount that I asked for. It's funny, I, and I've had artists that I've tour managed. They go different ways. Like if they see stuff left behind, and and to, they're absolutely right. We paid for that, so get it. But then I'm looking at it like, man, we've had like 48 bottles of YooHoo on the bus for three months, and no one's fucking drank it. <laughs> Can we please leave this shit or strike it from the ride? But you can't strike it from the rider because as soon as you strike it, he's gonna be like, "Where's my YooHoo?" What we found was um, it, it paid to have a couple of different riders and you rotate those. So rider A is on like odd number days and rider B is on even number days. So I've seen that with uh, catering men. I've never, I've never seen that with stock, but because what I'll, I'll do when I advance uh, dressing room or bus stock, I, I will, it's always TBD day of, and then I meet the runner and like, here's, here's what we need. Here's what we don't want to cross that off. And, but there's certain things, which is, Ironically, in the middle of what we're all going through right now, uh, paper towels, toilet paper, and solo cups are like every day. And now I'm, I'm kind of curious what's going to happen when, when the world starts spinning again and I've got to get paper towels, toilet paper, and solo cups. 
or you'll wish that you had uh, stocked up on those previous tours and, uh, you know, not left it behind. Not left it behind, right. Yeah, yeah. be, be so worth yeah, so a lot whoever, of money. Whoever's got my toilet paper, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, so then uh, doors open, uh, you get some dinner, uh, you uh, you hang out on the bus, and then you get the call to go out and mix the show. Uh, don't hang out on the bus, no? honestly. I am never, I, I'm not a bus guy. Um like once I go in the venue, I rarely go back out to the bus. I, I'm not a day sleeper. I don't take a nap. Uh, I do try to get some kind of exercise in. You wouldn't know it by looking at me, but <laughs> I do. Um, whether it's, you know, I, I've, I've been known to, I have this app called uh, couch to 5k that I, it's, it's really rad. Um, it, 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 I try to do it in the morning because, uh, Usually after my fat ass starts running, all I want to do is just die. <laughs> That's not really good before a show. Um, but uh, I try to squeeze in a, a FaceTime, you know, FaceTime back home if I can. Um, you know, I have I have a family, so it's like I try to stay in touch with them. But families have lives of their own, and they don't put theirs on hold just because you know I have a cool job. Yeah. Yep. So then after the show, um, I guess it depends on the role that you're playing, but you, you help or oversee the, the loadout and then yeah. off to the next town. Um, I, I always, I always, uh, pack up my own front of house world and then I'll run uh, stage left and I'll pack up monitor world. Uh, if I don't have to have my hands on a motor controller anymore, I try not to. I mean, that's, it's not that it's, a, it's not that it's beneath me or anything like that. It's just, I know that we have. we have, we have people out there that that is their gig and they know it. And honestly, since SE is not my primary function anymore. Uh, there's kids that do it faster than I do. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm at that point now where I'm the fucking old guy that's in the way. So I don't know um, about that. I try to stay out of, <laughs> I try to stay out of it as much as possible. Um, same thing. It's like if, if, if I am, you know, if at the beginning of the tour and then, and, and, you know, as we divvy up responsibilities, if, if say packing the audio truck becomes my gig, then I pack the audio truck. If uh, th- that gig falls on somebody else, then I push the cases, and I don't try. I don't tell them how to pack the audio truck. I've I've learned to to stay out of other people's stand boxes. How many trucks were you uh, going with with uh, Godsmack? Uh, I think there were seven total. For audio, there were two. Wow, the rest of it, lighting and staging and... Lighting, know. stage, automation, yeah. pyro, backline, whatever. But uh, they, they, it's the way... And the way every multi-truck tour I've ever done works. It's like, it shows up on day one. Everything is in its own truck. But then it leaves day one packed. To, to the casual observer, it seems like it's packed randomly. But it's not. It's actually packed... To like so rigging goes in first, but since since you can't run a motor without a power distro, then all of a sudden now the audio power distro and the audio feeder is also on the rigging truck, and then the next thing that comes in was say lighting, and at the end of lighting, there's like room on the tail of that truck, and all the next thing you know, front of house control is on that audio and lights because that needs to come in, so it's all it's all packed for the most efficient in and the most efficient out. Yeah, that is definitely a uh, best laid plans. You know, you lay out the truck and you think that that's the way to do it. And then to your point, after the second or first or second day, all that goes out the window and it's in the interest of uh, expediency and efficiency. 
Right. And then like, you know, 12 weeks later, you forgot how to pack the pack all of your gear into the same truck to send it back home. Somehow it doesn't fit at that point. <laughs> like what? what like, how did we get more shit? Exactly. Um, so I, I want to wrap up here real quick. A uh, couple of final parting questions. Um, what's something that you know today that you wish you had known when you were, you know, starting to do the regional uh, cover band or, you know, even some of the bigger uh, regional acts that you were doing? What What's something that you have learned over time that has just been extraordinarily helpful or beneficial? Um, it can be technical. Actually, it can be social. I know it's a it's sort of social and it took me a long time to learn this lesson. Um, but it's, it's head down, mouth shut, honestly. Um, I'm, I'm certain that when you play this, when this podcast goes out live, there's going to be people that listen to it that have, have either chewed me out for, for, for having, uh, for being mouthy or have wanted to chew me out for being mouthy or have seen me chewed out for being mouthy. And it, it took me a, a while to kind of get past that. You know, when you, we're really, really, really fortunate. We, we work in an environment that while it, it's, it's very professional and very technical and, and, and it requires a significant level of skill. It also re- comes with a significant uh, stigma is not the right word. It kind of it, it kind of comes it comes w- with a little bit with a little bit of a dark cloud where um, we we do have a little we 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 have this kind of sense of entitlement this attitude because um, what we do is really cool and. We're, we're lucky because we do what most people just dream of doing. We and are. then we also work in an environment where uh, once, you, once you're in the job that you want, you realize that everybody wants your job. So all of a sudden now you become standoffish and, and it's, it fosters an environment of attitude. And um, I, I had to get knocked down a few pegs a, a couple of times before I kind of really – Learn and and I, I honestly credit my daughter more than anything. Like who who taught me how to be patient? Her name is Helen. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, uh, like the one of the most important things I've learned is is be patient and honestly learn from every. There's you can learn something from everybody out there. I mean, I don't care if you're a front of house guy and you, you talk to the pyro dude. Like somebody out there has been doing it longer than you and is more successful at it than you and has something to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, talking about the professionalism and everybody wants your job, um, that was immediately, um, opening to me when I started touring with Stitched Up Heart, which is the word no does not exist in anybody's vocabulary, uh, almost anybody's vocabulary when you're, when you're dealing with crews and, you know, production, um, folks is, you know, whether we were playing, uh, hard rock or, you know, something bigger, the, the, people just always were there to be happy to help. Um, you don't see that in the club circuit so much. There's a lot of, a lot more grumpy sound guys in that environment. What I will say is, 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 is while, while you kind of treat the client, you know, like a Butler with your towel over your arm, you know, what's your pleasure. Don't underestimate the power of no. Like we, we, I made a, 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 a Facebook post yesterday because I do believe that we, uh, if anybody can make anything happen, it's a bunch of roadies 
and we can't we can make anything possible but at the same time um if somebody's asking you for something and it doesn't it, and you have to be respectful when you say it but if somebody's asking for something ridiculous and you say yes and you don't deliver then you're the asshole that's a good point but if somebody asks you for something that's that, that is utterly ridiculous you're like no i can't do that yeah no absolutely it, it's uncomfortable for a second and then move on and and, and just use it sparingly <laughs> i'm not I'm, I'm not advocating go out there and just start saying no Right. You know, if you can do something, do it, but don't underestimate the power of no, because I think for, for me anyway, whenever I ask a question and it doesn't matter what the question is, it doesn't matter who I ask it of. Um, if I ask a yes or no question, no is always an acceptable answer. It might be a bummer, yeah, but it's an acceptable answer. <laughs> it's better to under promise and over deliver, uh, than absolutely. To do the yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. We are really running out of time, but I, I do, you shared a story with me the other day, uh, and I don't mind you, I hope you don't mind talking about this, but, uh, you mentioned a mad scientist, you mentioned your daughter. Can you, uh, tell us a little bit about the Meyer, uh, speakers that you have sitting in your mixing room right now and, uh, a fun little experiment you did with those? The Wait science project? Which one? Uh, putting out the fire. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry, I should have so, should have given you a heads up. No, this is a, a science project for my my daughter's school a couple of years ago. That um, I, I ended up borrowing a, a pair of uh, UPJs from a friend, and they had seen a YouTube video of some kid who had who made put an amplifier together and made some sort of tube and was just carrying this ten inch driver and a sine wave generator and he set a frying pan full of oil on fire and was putting the fire out with sound and what it was it wasn't it wasn't pushing air it wasn't blowing the fire out it was literally disturbing the air to the point where it was suffocating it so of course when it was time to pick science projects you know in the, the fourth grade some of these kids could um make uh volcanoes out of you know, vinegar and baking soda, and my kid wants to do that. Extinguish so, fire with sound. Oh, it's sine waves. Yep. So we put it together and uh, ended up getting a, a concrete forming tube from Lowe's and uh, put it, like shaping it to the in the UPJ. And there's actually enough. There's enough firepower in a UPJ to disturb the air to put out a ten inch frying pan full of. Uh, Hot burning oil. Leave it to Meyer. <laughs> nah, but they did such a cooler when you can talk probably I think Luke Jenks was on the project. Uh where the um and he's he I don't think he's with Meyer anymore, but it was there was one on Mythbusters where they put out or they broke a glass with sound, and there was another one where they, they stacked up a shitload of subs and they the they brown were, note. It was well, the brown was the note brown, test. Yeah. Another one were simulating. They they put it was like a spacecraft in a lab, and they were trying to simulate the 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 the, shade, the rattling of liftoff. And they surrounded it with a bunch of subs and were just blasting it, like unbelievable. That that that's that, the job I want. I, mean, I was going to say when I'm done with rock bands, I just want to do weird, noisy experiments and get paid for it. There you go. All right. Well, you've been extremely generous with your time. Um, I really appreciate you sitting down to talk uh, with me and with everybody who's listening. Hopefully people got something out of it. 
um, try to repay the favor a little bit. What are you working on these days? How can people get in contact with you? Um, you know, is there anything that you'd like to share or uh, encourage people to check out? Well, um, I am currently, I'm, I am the front of house engineer and tour manager for St. Asonia, such as it is in the business. <laughs> so you're on I mean, pause. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm on pause like the rest of us. Um, but, uh, what I'm doing right now is like, I'm, I'm paying attention. Uh, I am, I'm watching, uh, Pooch and, and Chris's amazing web show. It's, it's, it's informative and entertaining. It just makes me smile. Uh, I've been checking out the RF venue podcast every week as well. And, uh, anybody who's doing this should check those guys out. Um, it's astounding to me how many people don't know anything about RF and they, when you try to come in with a little bit of knowledge, they, they get really apprehensive about it because I don't know, but there's the RF and you guys are sharing a ton of knowledge for free. It's great. Um, rational acoustics is sharing a ton of knowledge. If you want to learn smart, Chris and Jamie are, are really kicking ass with it. And then, uh, I am sitting here. I have, uh, I've done a couple of mix pro one is just for myself. Uh, just, I'm starting to take old multi-tracks from past tours into logic and, learning logic as I go and, and just mixing down and it turned into a, a couple of friends have ended up sending me their, their band's project or whatever. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm mixing demos for people. That's awesome. Yeah. There's something to be said for, you know, continuing to mix and continuing to learn or even taking the opportunity to learn right now during the downtime. So it is, it's, it's an unfortunate situation we're in, but hopefully we come out of it for the better. Well, I, th I honestly, I think, I, I don't, I think that there's no excuse, right? I mean, it sucks. It's a bummer. Um, and, and I, I, I empathize and I understand anybody who's afraid or depressed or just don't want to get out of bed. I've, I've had those days. I had one of those days just the other day where I, I literally, I woke up, I had a bowl of Rice Krispies uh, and then uh, cause I, I'm, I'm old. I still get up at 7am. It's fucking weird. Um, but uh, I got up, I had a bowl of Rice Krispies, and then um, I think I got up again at like 4.30. Yeah. And all I had done all day was watch Instagram videos, and it was, it's, it's hard, it's rough. But if, if you look at this wealth of knowledge that, that the internet provides and that guys out there are providing, learn something, just stay connected. I was so excited to do this because it, it makes work feel not so far away, and um, – Quite honestly, like I would love to do something like what what Pooch uh, Robert Scoville's doing one. I would love to do it right now if if I didn't feel like the greatest guys in the business are already sharing their knowledge. So what the hell do I have to provide? Uh, I think you could still contribute. I think people would uh, appreciate it and benefit. Man, just just smart ass commentary and then say, yeah, just do what those guys do because they're amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, I know you have a website. Do you want to share that with everybody? Or uh, Yeah, it's uh, ericrogersaudio.com, E-R-I-K-R-O-G-E-R-S, audio.com. It's just a bunch of pictures of me. That's <laughs> all it is. And uh, social media channels, anything that you uh, uh, Social media channels, um, those are my, my Instagram, at Eric M. Rogers, and uh, Facebook, at Eric M. Rogers. Uh, I don't really tweet no. I leave that I leave I leave that for the president. Yes. Gonna, <laughs> he he can tweet all he wants. It's all good. <laughs> there's enough going on on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, there's there's enough there's enough tweeting. Um 
Yeah, and, and uh, wherever this podcast is, I think we can probably put links to all that stuff. And, yeah. and if you, I want to put links to you up on on mine. Yeah, you know? absolutely. All all sixteen of my followers, are really grateful. <laughs> well, with our uh, four initial followers or whatever, the no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, this will this will hopefully get out to the masses and and be enjoyed and appreciated by people. So thank you, Eric. You're a gentleman, uh, a master at mixing. And really, uh, genuinely appreciate you spending time with me today. Hey, by the way, I'm I'm really proud of what you've got going on with uh, Stitched Up Heart. You know, I, I mixed those guys on the Godsmack run, and I, I loved them. And then uh, when I got when when you called me, I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, you talk about being fortunate. Uh, they're a wonderful group of people. Um, you know, just so easy to get along with. I went from having an office job for the last. 25 years and doing sound, you know, as a hobby, uh, local festivals, local clubs, regional stuff, to all of a sudden being on this international North American tour with Stitched Up Heart, never met them before really other than some trial dates and all of a sudden I'm on a bus with them for two months and there was not one single disagreement, one single spat. They're just really, really wonderful people. They were the most kind, I mean, they... Being a support band, being the first of three, you know, on, especially on the tour that we were on, I can understand how difficult it, they they could have been, or or how how frustrated they could have been. And they had they were all smiles all day long, and they came in and they just kicked ass every night. It was it was a lot of fun. It was yeah. really fun to mix them. Yeah, they're and it's not an act uh, for anybody listening that might be wondering. They are genuinely like that, twenty four seven, three sixty five. Um, Went into them, went into the tour, you know, knowing them, came out with a bunch of really best friends, and I'm eternally grateful. So, all right. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Yeah. All you right. know who you should, uh, you should call uh, Brian Hardiswick. He's a, he's an Allen and Heath uh, iLive guy as well. Awesome. Yeah, uh, we've got Drew Thornton, who is a D Live uh, guy from no, Alan D Live. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, no, Alan. It's all, guys, all good. All good. Uh, I Live was like the first Alan and Heath digital, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, mixed my fair share of shows on those as well, but the, I really am enjoying the D Live. Uh, but yeah, Drew from uh, Billy Eilish is going to be a guest on the podcast. We've got that recorded already. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting. So trying to make the most of this vacation we've got. Compliments of a virus. And, uh, like That's said, it. We're on vacation. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, it's, Eric. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just say, isn't it? Isn't it funny how I, I don't know everybody else or, or, or you, but I know my kids are so ready to not be on vacation anymore. <laughs> like they hate it. Yeah. Um, I, I think when we were talking uh, yesterday before the podcast, uh, you said you had to take a you had to go because you had to teach uh, sixth grade math. Yeah. Um, Turns out that uh, I should have paid more attention in sixth grade, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would have known, though, right? Who could have <laughs> ever seen this coming? All right. We will wrap up here for real this time. So, uh, Eric Rogers, thank you for being a guest on the Mix Masters podcast. Um, everybody out there, uh, check the links to Eric's uh, information on our podcast review. Um, we appreciate everybody tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen & Heath D-Live system with Shure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype, 
FaceTime and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 